what you may have heard of the word ichthus. Now, that's a Greek word. It's the word for fish. And you might say, so what's the big deal? And people say, well, you got the fish symbol on the back of your car, or we got the word ichthus. It's special because it was used in the first century. In fact, sometimes if you were a Christian and you weren't sure somebody else was a Christian, you might just draw on the ground kind of the, the symbol of the fish. And if the, or even just one part of it, you might just do that, and the other person might come up and fill it in just without getting into trouble, without letting a lot of things be known. You're saying, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. And so, wh- but why the fish? Well, the, the, it's, it, the word ichthus, each, each letter aptly represents, uh, a word. Five, the five Greek letters. Let me show you what they are. They're, of course, the, the first part is, is the I and the, which is really a J, and then the CH and the TH and the U and the S. And that is Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. The word Son is weos. It starts with what we call a U. And so that's the word for Son. And then the word Savior, Soterion, Soterius, is the, that word there. And then Theos, which is God and Christos. And, and so there is. So they would, the word ichthus with those letters would spell out Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. That's those letters. And it's really a pretty good acronym, isn't it? Jesus Christ, who is the God, who is God, who is the Son, who is the Savior? It's very, very powerful. And so uh, that, that's uh, we see that. And when we think about our passage, we want to think about that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And we see how he saved the Jewish people. He delivered it. We think about our God, how he delivered the nation from Egypt, protecting them from the Egyptians and providing for them in the wilderness. Think about this. Do we realize that Jesus Christ is our Savior? In the same way that God saved Israel from Egypt, Jesus Christ saves us from sin. He came into this lost world, this world, came into this world to seek and save those who are lost. Remember, that's what he said, I came to seek and save those who are lost. I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He came to die and to be resurrected and to save us and to give to us eternal life. That's who Jesus is. He's our Savior. When you really think about it and you understand how things fit, you've, you've got a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Uh, our world does not want to recognize Jesus Christ as Savior. Our world actually talks about Jesus. And they would say, well, he's a great teacher to, uh, to teach us what we're supposed to know. Or he's a great example to tell us and show us what we're supposed to do. Or he's a great helper. But I want you to think about something. He is a teacher, but he didn't just come to teach. And he is an example, but he didn't just come to be an example. And he is a helper, but he didn't just come to help. He came as the Savior. Now think about that, the Savior, to deliver us from the bondage of sin and to give to us eternal life. I think you have to just really understand what we're talking about today. I got to talk to a couple of people who talked to this person, and the person has struggled a little bit because they came out of a different background and they were in church this morning, but they were talking, basically they'd been taught that you have to do certain things to be saved. But today, when the person was listening to the message, they said, what you're saying is just faith in Christ for eternal life and that he's the Savior. Because the person had been taught that you needed to do good and keep doing good in order to stay saved. And But they said, today, it's not me. I'm not the Savior. I said, you're right. You're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. That's who is the Savior. We're lost. 
Oh, we were lost, now we're found. God has provided a way of salvation. It's just as God delivered and saved the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, God has provided a way for deliver us from the bondage of sin. This evening in chapter 14, we're going to see the God who delivers and saves. Now in this passage, it's a famous statement. I love this where he says, Be still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know, I think it's kind of funny because he tells the, he tells the people, Be still, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, Tell the people to move on. What are you all standing around for? You know, I just love it. He says, what are you standing around for? Tell them to move on. Of course, I can say, how are they going to move on? Because what's right in front of them? A body of water. But we'll see it as we look at the passage. We see final God's final act of power dealing with the Egyptians. And as we begin, let's remember where we are. The ten plagues have already happened. God has judged Egypt for not letting his people go. The final plague was the death of the firstborn. God has provided a substitute for the Jews, the Passover lamb. Think about that. God has provided for us a substitute, the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. You see the blood of the Passover lamb delivered the people they coming out of slavery after 400 years. Now, remember, these are not soldiers. They're not fighters. They're slaves. They're men, women, and children coming out who have been slaves all of their lives. For the last 400 years, there's not a single person alive that hasn't been a slave all their life. Except for Moses. Because Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. He wasn't a slave all his life. Everybody else has been slaves all their lives. As they come out, what's going to happen? Well, let me break down the passage for you. First of all, in verses 1 through 9, we see God's directions. He leads the Jews. They look lost. He's leading them, but they actually look lost as they come to the Red Sea. And then we see fear because Egypt is coming. But look at the next slide. We're going to see God's instructions, his plan, and his protection. I think the thing we just have to realize that in every event in life, God is working and he's, he's protecting us. He's delivering us. He's saving us. He's using us. All of those things. Well, let's begin. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before, and there's a place called Pi-Hirathoth, between Migdol and the sea. You shall camp in front of Belzaphon, opposite by the sea. Now, he tells them to, to leave, and, and God, of course, is still giving instructions, and that's what we see all the way through. God continues to direct Moses to tell him what to do. They come out, and they're going south, <coughs> southwest toward the wilderness. Uh, then he tells them to turn back. Let me show you something. I think we got a map here. This is the big map, and we're going to get a little bit more detail in a minute. But you can see, uh, go back to the big map for just a second. You can see over there is the lower, what they call lower Egypt, and that's up at the northern part there, and we see where they were. And then that next part over is the Sinai, and if you notice a little further up, there's Canaan. That's where they're going to be going uh, eventually. And we're going to see that there's actually three routes that they could live. Look, it's got all kinds of stuff on there, so it's a little bit hard to follow. Look at the next map, which is the bigger one. You give three routes. There's a green route, which they could have gone north. Then they could have, the red route is going south. And I think the blue route is going sort of in the middle. They could have gone any one of those ways. We saw last week, he said, I'm not going to take them north by the Philistines because they might turn around and come back. It looks like he's going to take them south and go way down, but, but they're going to turn around and come back. And by the way, you see the Red Sea, which is the big sea at the bottom, but you also see all those bodies of water up in there. Any one of those could also be Red Sea, and that could also be a part that they have to cross. So we're not sure exactly where they crossed. All There's all kind of debates, and there's books out, and everything about where they crossed, and land bridges, and everything else. So we're not really sure exactly where they crossed, but let's just say this. They're going to get to a body of water, which is called the Red Sea sometimes called the Reed Sea, and they're going to be stuck. And how are they going to get across, get away from the Egyptians? And we're going to see what God does. So here's what he tells them to do. He says, go back and camp up this way. Now, why is he doing that? Now, uh, by the way, 
when he tells them to do that, let, stop, because it, it doesn't look right. Because they could have either gone north and got out of there. They could have gone south and gone down. They could have gone straight across, which would have been pretty tough as well through the wilderness. But they start south and then they turn back up again. And it looks like they're lost. In fact, I think the next slide, I think, says he's taken them back and puts them at the Red Sea. And somebody could say, well, what are y'all doing? Why don't you just go on now? How do they know how to go? God's leading them, okay? Now watch, look at verse 3. For Pharaoh will say, he says, I want you to go back there. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they're wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. He wants Pharaoh to say, hey, wait a minute, where are they? They said, well, they started down there. Then they turned around and came back up this way, and they're over here. He wants Pharaoh to say, wait a minute. They don't even know where they're going. They're lost. They're mixed up. They're wandering in the wilderness. He thinks, Pharaoh thinks, they're in trouble. So look what Pharaoh says, thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. He's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, we saw this, and when we studied this, we talked about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and you realize that it was all the way through five plagues before God hardened Pharaoh's heart. All the way up there, Pharaoh was hardened his own heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Basically, Pharaoh says, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. After that, then God affects him a little bit, and he's not listening. He says, I'm going to fix it where Pharaoh's not going to listen. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after them. Now, what's the plan? Two things. I will be honored, and the Egyptians will know I'm the Lord. Notice, just hold it up there. He says, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Now, that's powerful. Here's the plan. God says, I will be honored. They'll know who I am. I am the Lord. See, that's been the deal all the way through. Because when Moses went to Pharaoh at the beginning, the Jewish people are serving Pharaoh. They're not supposed to serve Pharaoh. They're supposed to serve God. They're supposed to serve the Lord. So Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go that they may serve me, serve me, serve the Lord. Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord. He says, okay, well, when this is all over, I'm going to be honored and the Egyptians are going to know that I am the Lord. And that's what's happened to all those plagues. Same thing. Every time the, the Lord is the powerful one. He says, now all of Egypt will know. Well, they did, they said they did so. They turned back just like they, like he told them to do. And although it looks bad, we'd say, they look like they're mixed up. They don't know where they're going. God says, I think I know what I'm doing. Uh, I think I know what I'm doing. Just don't worry about it. I'm telling you what I'm doing. Sometimes in our life we go, this doesn't look right. I think it's kind of mixed up. God says, I think I know what I'm doing. If you'll just go on and do what I tell you to do, bottom line. So watch what happens. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. Now, it's really two, two different things. From Egypt... Egypt side, they say they're fleeing. The Jew side, they're marching out. We're going to see in a little bit. The nation of Israel is going out like this. We're marching out of here. You know why they think that? What did they just get from the Egyptians? Oh, they got gold, silver, and clothes. They've come out rich. They're coming out, and the Egyptians have told them, please leave. And they've been shown favor. So they're marching out saying, you know, we're leaving. This is great. We're leaving. We're marching out. The Egyptians are saying, wait a minute. They're, they're running out of here. They're running out of here. And it says that the king of Egypt, when the king of Egypt was told the people had fled, he had a change of heart. He said, I don't, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
what is this we've done? We've let Israel go from what? Serving who? Serving them. Who's Israel supposed to serve? The Lord. And now it's back again. How quickly? Let me ask you something. Do you think, what if somebody went to Pharaoh and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Last time we dealt with these people, what happened? Who died? Every firstborn son in every household, except the ones who had the Passover lamb. So how quickly they have forgotten what God did. So look what happens. So he made, this is verse 6, so he made his chariot ready and he took his people with him and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Now, they're going after, if you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, you know, the chariots and that, that's what they were like. In fact, in some of the chariots that were so big, you had two, you had one driving and one able to shoot. You had, you know, a lot of times you see them and they're racing and there's one guy in the chariot, but they were so big chariots, especially the select ones, that there was a person who could drive them and there was also a space for the guy to shoot and to do the fighting while one guy drove the chariot. And so it says here that uh, he picked, uh, he got his chariot ready and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. So, I mean, this is, this is powerful. He's got foot soldiers coming. He's got the chariots, all of these things. Verse 8. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel going out boldly. God is working. Now, Pharaoh has hardened his own heart. God hardens his heart. Because what we saw is the sovereignty of God and the freedom of man. It all goes together. We've talked about this over and over when you start thinking about uh, the sovereignty of God and that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. At the same time, you have the freedom to make any choice, and you're accountable for every choice that you make, and every choice that you make fits in the sovereign plan of God. I don't know how that works. We know that he's infinite. We're finite. We can't grasp it. It is just a truth that you made a decision to be here tonight. It was your choice, and you're responsible for that choice, and yet in God's sovereign plan, this is where you're going to be. You have freedom. He is sovereign. It all works together. Don't always understand. We can't understand it. You can believe it. We just can't comprehend it. This is what we see. Watch what happens. Verse 9. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea. At that place, uh, they were at uh, that little place, and of course, in front of Belzef, and they, that's where they caught them. They caught them right where they camped. It's almost as if you could say, the people could look at Moses and say, Why did we come here? Well, look, they're coming right this way. Where are we going to go? In fact, we're going to find out that they're trapped because there's a wilderness on both sides. There's the Red Sea right there, and here comes Pharaoh and his army. And uh, it, it, it literally looks bad. What will they do? As I've got right here, what are the Jews going to do? Suddenly, they are in trouble. See, just recently they were going, what? We're marching out of here. Thank you for the gold. Thank you for the silver. Thank you for the clothes. Thank you for all these things. We got it all. We're doing great. And now suddenly they're out in the middle of nowhere. And they're stopped. And they look up and they see dust coming up. And they go, anybody know what that is? Some guy said, I'll go look. And he went and looked. And he went, I, I, I don't want to say this, but I think it's chariots. Did you say Cheerios? No, no, I said chariots. Right, right. Wow, I think they're in trouble. What's going to happen? Well, look at verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, as they looked, they realized that it was Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh and his army. It was the Pharaoh and the, the chariots are coming. And, and they became very frightened, and they cried out to the Lord, which is really, let me just say this. That's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Whenever you're frightened, whenever anything's going on, who do you talk to? 
You cry out to the Lord. You say, Lord, help me. What are we going to do? They cried out to the Lord. Think about this. I think the next slide. They realize their situation. They've got the sea to the east of them. They've got the wilderness on both sides, and the Egyptian army is coming after them. They're trapped and they're afraid. Now, let me ask you something. What have they seen over the last mm, five or six months? What have they seen? They've seen all the plagues. They've seen the power of God. They've seen God turn the sun into darkness, the river into blood, and frogs come everywhere, and, and all of these. They've seen the death of the firstborn. They saw that, that they killed that lamb, put the blood on the door, and nothing happened to them. And all those people in the, Egypt, that without the blood on the door, they lost a son. And what should they say is, I don't know what God's doing, but we're going to have to trust him. Now, let me ask you something. How many times has God let you down? Has he ever let you down? Not really, has he? But how many times have we said, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. This is a mess. Wake up. What has he ever done? He's always done everything exactly right. Now, it's real easy for us to look at the, Egypt, the uh, Israelites and say, you guys, y'all are just a bunch of babies. You're out there, and here comes the enemy, and all you want to do is cry. What would you do if you were there? I think I'd be going, I don't know what we're going to do. What are we going to do? Look where, look where we are. What do you think happened here? Moses, come here. Hey, hey, whose idea was this? And Moses would say, you see that cloud right there, don't you? We have been following that. Who is that? Who does that represent? That's God. So look what happened. They cried, they cried, the Israel cried out to the Lord. Now watch what they said to Moses. They cried out to the Lord, but here's what they said to Moses. Then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us out away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Well, I thought you didn't really like it that much in Egypt, right? I didn't think it was that good a deal there. But look what they say to him. Is there no graves in Egypt? There wasn't a place to bury us there. You decided to bring us out in the middle of the wilderness and bury us and get us killed. Why have you dealt with us in this way and bringing us out of Egypt? How quickly they have forgotten God's power. How quickly they've forgotten what they were in. For 400 years or longer, what have they been? Slaves. And, and, and they're saying, well, thanks a lot, Moses. We could have died there and be buried just as easy as out here. Why did you do this? goes on in verse 12 and says, is, not, is, is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Would you rather... Seek to be free and die, or live your life as a slave. What they're saying is, it'd be better to be a slave than to die. See? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You know, I always want to say, what kind of life is it being a slave? What kind of life was it being a slave to sin? We were dead in trespasses and sin. We trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. We're born again. We're made alive. We can have victory. It's a better life, isn't it? It took a death, though, to happen. Jesus Christ died and rose again. We died and rose again with him to a new life. Look what they say. Is this not the word we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? 
I don't remember him saying that right at the start. Now, when when they when Moses got there and said, God says, let us go, everybody was going, yeah, we're getting out of here. And then Moses went and talked to Pharaoh and everything went real bad. They all went to Moses and said, would you just leave everything alone? And then when all the plagues started going, they saw the power of God. They were ready to walk out of there. How quickly they forgot. You know, there's an old saying, because here comes Pharaoh coming. There's an old saying that Pharaoh had forgotten God, but so had the Israelites. Had they forgotten that they were crying out to God with a heavy burden and the death of their children? I mean, think about it. What happened to boy babies that were born in Egypt? You ever wonder, besides the fact that Pharaoh's son would have been the next God, why was it the death of the firstborn? Because in Egypt, his law was, if it's a girl baby, that's okay. If it's a boy baby, throw him in the river. Killed all the Jewish people's firstborn sons. It's easy to follow God and Moses when things are going great. It's so easy when you say to the Egyptian, Can I have that gold? Can I have that silver? Can I have those clothes? And they hand it to you. You say, This isn't that bad. This is a pretty good deal. I'm pretty happy. It's real easy to, to follow and to be happy when things are going good. But when things are going bad, that's when you have to start saying, what are we supposed to do? You've got to trust him. The same is true for us. It's easy to trust God when things look good. But when things look bad, we forget what he's done. Think about Jesus. One day the crowd is going, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save us. Save us. Yay. Here he comes. Here he goes. Put the stuff down. He's coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, right? And then very many days later they're saying, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Same people. Some of the same people. Not all the same people. Some of the same people. It's easy to get our eyes off God in the midst of the circumstances. We must keep our focus on God and rest in his provision and protection rather than the trials and the problems. How does Moses answer? I love verse 13. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by or stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. Now, just to make sure you understand that, you'll never see them again forever. He put that in there. Three things. What he said. Do not fear. Be still and see God's salvation. Quit being afraid. See, God is the one who brought you to that situation. He said, you don't have to be afraid. I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you what? What should you fear? He said, be still. Stand still. Stand by. Stand firm. Trust God. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we just need to stop and say, we're okay. We're okay. I'm resting right here. And then what did he say? See God's salvation. See the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. Notice he didn't say which you will gain, you will fight, you will have the victory. You know, when they go into the land, they have to fight. They have to fight. They're not ready. This generation, by the way, this generation never fights anything. Right? Think about this generation. This generation doesn't fight anybody. This generation comes out. Part gets the Red Sea, goes up, gets the law, hangs around for a while, gets all, you know, doesn't go into the land, and they all die out. It's the next generation that does the fighting. These people never fight. You know why? They're slaves. They know how to fight. Next generation's gonna know how to fight. Joshua is gonna lead them in. I talked to a guy today, he said, you know, I started reading that Joshua. 
That Joshua's the man, isn't he? He's tough. I said, yeah, he's pretty tough. He he whipped about 57 kings or 51 kings. I mean, he's a pretty tough guy. We want to be on Joshua's side when uh, we start crossing over, right? It is God who will accomplish this for you. It's the power of God in our lives. Apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. And in Christ, we can do all things. Moses didn't tell him, get ready to fight. He said, don't fear, stand still, see God's salvation. When I think about salvation, it's the same thing. It's not what we do, it's what God has already done. Our salvation is not based, I I think the next slide, our salvation is not based on our actions, our goodness, our works, or anything that we do. It is based on grace. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness will we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not what we do. It's not of works, lest any one of us should boast. Salvation is a gift. And when you think about salvation, you have to realize that it is not you. You're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Some need to stop trying to get their salvation and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Look what happened. Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. You know why he said keep silent? Because what are they doing? They're griping. What are are we going to do? What are we going to do? Who brought us out here? Who brought us out here? Would you shut up? Just shut up. The Lord will fight for you. The battle is the Lord's. It's not ours. It's not our circumstances. He puts us in the circumstances. It's not our power. It's his power. The battle is the Lord's. It's not ours. It's not our circumstances. It's not our power. It's God in us and through us. What's our response to trials and problems? It's griping. Watch what he says. Moses says, Do not fear. Stand still. See what God's going to do. Lord's going to fight for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. You can see Moses going this way. <laughs> we're supposed to, we're supposed to go this way. You can just see him saying, "I don't think so." That's that's a C. That's a C. So look what happens. He says, "As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel will go through the midst of the sea on dry land. Divide it." People will go through on dry land. This, this, is a, this is a miracle. This is a miracle, miracle. The water is not a little bit deep, like up ankle deep, and they're going, okay, we can just go right on across. It's not that big a deal. That's not what you got. You got to see. In fact, you're going to see when we get to the next chapter that the Egyptians have sunk down to the bottom in the deep water. This is not something a little bitty thing. Now listen, I've had people say, well, the, the Israelites crossed over in ankle deep water. How, then how did the Egyptians drown? Right? Tell me how that army drowned. You know, you have to believe what it says. It's a sea. It's fixing to divide. It's going to be dry land. He says, as for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel will go through the list on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They'll go in after you. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptian will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh and through his chariots and horsemen. He said, they will know. He said, go forward, I'm going to part the sea, Egypt will follow, I will get the honor and they will know me. This is what he said over and over. Now, I want you to see what God does, because let me tell you something. If you've got two million people, and they've got a crossover, and let's just say, let's just say it's a mile across. 
Let's say it's a half a mile across. Let's just say it's, it's not that far. Okay. Let's, uh, how are you going to get all those people across there? How long is it going to take? First of all, you got to have somebody going, okay, let's line up. Let's get in groups. Line up. Get over here. You know, let's line up, right? And what's going to happen? The water is going to part. It's going to be dry land. Now, let me ask you something. It's a wall of water on both sides, right? You want to walk through that? What if you say, what if, what if, what if it goes back down while we're in this thing, right? I mean, do you think about, does it take some faith and some courage to walk into the, walk into that thing? And look what God does, because it's going to take a while for the water to part, dry land, and for them to get across. So look what he does. The angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel, this is verse 19, the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So the pillar of cloud and the angel of God came around and got in between the Egyptians and the Israelites. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and it was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus, the one did not come near the other all night. Now, the Egyptians were in darkness, and they said, where are they? I can't see them. I don't know what they're doing. What's happening on the other side? They're not encamping. They're crossing. They crossed all night long. It took all night for these people to get across. So it's not, it didn't happen during the day. It happened during the night because they had the big light. They had the big light shining. Watch where you're stepping. Here we go. Okay, let's stay in a line. Let's go. Stay together. Everybody stay together. You can just see them going, what if the water falls? What if the water falls on us? What if, what's, what if, the, what if the wind that's pushed it back stops? What if Moses drops the staff? <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, just go, just go. We gotta go. We gotta go. So, what do we see? The protection, the angel of God, God's presence, the cloud, the light by night, powerful. Came between them, God protected them. Now we're right at the most dramatic passage, almost in the Old Testament, because we're gonna see Egypt come after him. God's gonna let him come after him. Remember he said, I will let him, I will, I will gain honor through Pharaoh and his army and his chariots. We'll see what he does. So God has directed Israel to come back to the Red Sea. They, Pharaoh thinks they're lost. He comes after them. Israelites complain. God says, don't be afraid. Watch God's salvation. And we're going to see the parting. We'll see it in just a minute because verse 21 says, The Lord, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. That's incredible. We read this like, we read this like nothing. We go, that's a, well, I saw that in a movie once. Well, yeah, yeah, you saw that in a movie. That really happened. So let me give you some applications. Number one, realize that God is the source of salvation. Just as the Israelites saw God as the one who delivered, we see God as the one who saves and delivers. God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. He died and rose again for us. He paid for sins. He gives us eternal life. He delivers us from the bondage of sin and uh, all, all of those things. We see the salvation of the Lord. The second application is trust God in the trials and circumstances and problems of life because that's what you have to do. Just as Israel had to trust him, they're standing out in the middle of nowhere. They're all blocked in. He says, quit being afraid. Stand still. See what God's going to do. We have to trust God in the trials and circumstances of life. And, and we, ha- we, we don't have to fear. Remember, we, as we trust God, we don't have to fear me in our circumstances. 
I want to read something to you, which I think is amazing. A guy by the name of Clement of Rome, first century, he had a prayer to God about trusting God in the circumstances of life, and here's what he wrote. We ask you, Master, be our helper and defender. Rescue those of our number in distress. Raise up the fallen. Assist the needy. Heal the sick. Turn back those of your people who stray. Feed the hungry. Release our captives. Revive the weak. Encourage those who lose heart. Let all the nations realize that you are the only God, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. That's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? I like that prayer. As we go through life, keep the focus on God, not the circumstances. As God, I think the next line says, as God provided and protected the Jews from the Egyptians, God will provide and protect us as we live for him. May we trust God in the trials and problems and circumstances of life, knowing indeed that our God is our source of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a great passage. Thank you for truths. Lord, thank you for the Bible, how wonderful it is that we trust you in the, the events and circumstances of life. Thank you for Jesus Christ coming to the earth, dying on the cross, paying for sin, and giving to us eternal life, that he is our source of salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you are the Savior, that you have provided for a way that we can be with you forever. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.